0: Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show we will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Katherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
1: Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I am your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We have a very special guest here this morning. Um, she's an author. She's a journalist. Uh, Catherine. Stewart, and she's author of The Good News Club. I wanted to talk about this today. This is kind of a chilling book, I would say. Um, the book is entitled The Good News Club, The Christian Rights, Stealth Assault on America's Children. Listen to this. Uh, what started as a concerned parent, which is Catherine, investigating an after-school program's Bible study class, what turned into a discovery that there are more than 3,000 500 evangelical good news clubs operating in public schools across the country. Uh, She uncovered and we she talks about this in the book, the true motives of religious-driven programs which are asserting themselves into public education. I had no idea. I don't know about you. I don't know about my listeners, but this is a uh, really compelling kind of information. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Catherine. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so you're a journalist uh, and an author, and uh, you have a website, thegoodnewsclub.com. I want to mention that before we go on. So what happened? And you're also a parent. That's right. I have two kids,
0: Um, uh, and I was living in Santa Barbara, California, uh, with my kindergartner and my uh, baby, and these issues really weren't on my radar. But then I learned that a good news club uh, was coming to our public elementary school. And at first I thought it was no big deal. The program describes itself as Bible study from a non-denominational standpoint. And uh, you know I support the idea of teaching the Bible even in public schools from a non-sectarian standpoint, as history or as literature or anthropology, um, and I'm a strong supporter of free speech. But I started hearing stories from parents around town whose kids attended schools where Good News Clubs had recently been established, and I started to hear stories about how the kids attending the clubs were targeting their non-Christian peers for what I can only describe as faith-based bullying. Um, and the kids would, uh, you know, a, a child attending the Good News Club would try and figure out which child in the class—and we're talking really little kids here, kindergarten, first grade—they would figure out which kid in their class wasn't Christian or wasn't, uh, you know, the right kind of Christian.
1: And they, they'd start telling them they were going to go to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. And these well, kids would backtrack them. a little bit. This Good News Club—and what a name, Good News Club—it's a very clever name. And as I understand it from your book, is backed by. Some pretty heavy hitters in terms of monies being poured into these good news clubs across the country. We'll talk about that later. But, Catherine, okay, so the good, explain the whole process, though. The good news club, what is it? You get a letter from the teacher saying, we have a good news club at our school and it meets after school or during classes? Or how, how does it work? Good news clubs are a program
0: sponsored by an organization called the Child Evangelism. Fellowship. They describe themselves with these non-threatening labels like non-denominational or intra-denominational. In fact, um, the child evangelism fellowship and Good News Clubs represent a very specific strand of fundamentalist uh, Christianity. Um, They call themselves non-denominational, but that's very deceptive. They're not broadly Christian. Um, Most activists I met who work with the Child Evangelism Fellowship, in fact, believe that most Americans who call themselves Christians really aren't, including U.S. Episcopalians, United Methodists, Catholics, which I heard described as a whole other religion. They would say we're Christians and they're Catholics. Um, don't even talk about, you know, Mormons. Uh, forget about liberal Presbyterians, and the list goes on. And of course, they categorically reject legitimacy of all other faiths. Um, the, the, the The programs are in elementary schools. I want to make that clear. They're in public K through sixes around the country. Is that because it's other... easier
1: to influence kids when they're in elementary school? There's a certain right. age which you, propaganda works really well, as I understand well, it. The, if you get yes. them at four or five years old. You inject this. This religious stuff into the school system and that's, doesn't work as well when you do it with middle school or high school kids. Well this is true. I mean the centerpiece of the program is called the wordless book. It has no words, just
0: pictures and shapes and colors and it's used to uh, convert children who are too young to read. Is this now, an after
1: school to- program? It
0: is indeed an after-school program. So and these it, programs
1: are after-school, so you it, have to give permission for them to go because the kid doesn't have to, like if you're going to the regular school day. No, no say. one has to go to a Good News Club, and only yeah. kids who have
0: parental permission can join. But there are two things I want to um, bring up here. The first is that the the groups use the children attending the club with their parental permission to recruit kids who are not attending the club. At every Good News Club training I attended, I traveled around the country and attended a number of them, children were offered points and prizes and sometimes even candy for recruiting their peers to the club. And that is a very, I think, you know, one of the aspects of the club that is most problematic to parents is that kids who are attending the club with their permission, uh, with the permission of parents, are all of a sudden trying to recruit uh, other kids to the club and The the most, I think, concerning aspect of good news clubs is that they seek to convey the erroneous but um, completely unavoidable impression in these very young children that their religion, their form of the Christian religion, is endorsed by and has a support of their public school. The kids attending the club would say, I know the religion of the good, and they'd say, I know it's true because they taught it to me in school, and they don't teach things in school that aren't true. Look, well, we're person, we're what about, about this?
1: I have to, what, is this legal? I mean, are we allowed to do that? I mean, as I understand it from your book... Apparently the Supreme Court, what, in 2001 said, well, you know, we, this is a, I mean, I always thought there should be, there is a separation of church and state. How does yes, this fit into that? Yes, it's interesting.
0: I wonder that too. How is this consistent with the constitutional principle of the separation of church and state? Well, um, it all comes down to a 2001 Supreme Court decision called Good News Club versus Milford Central School. In that decision, the court, which is a divided decision, of course, uh, I believe Thomas, uh, um, uh, wrote the uh, majority opinion, and Scalia was also a big supporter. Um, in that decision, the court pushed, pushed free speech so far that the Establishment Clause, um, the you know first clause of our Constitution, which prohibits government endorsing or funding of an establishment of a religion, has been eviscerated. And in that decision, um, uh, the case was argued in a very different way than the ways that the Good News Club is actually implemented these days in practice. That case was argued in a K through K-12, so we're talking older kids who um, may have a better sense of the distinction between a school-sponsored uh, club, you know, high school kids can... Distinguish between a, a club that's sponsored by a school and a, spa, and a club that is not. It's much easier for them to make that distinction. So, so
1: this good is news clubs le- today are in public this elementary le- school. This is legal. This is legal. We are allowed to do this in our school system according to that 2001 Supreme Court decision. Yes. Let's because say it's of legal. There are more 500 evangelical good news clubs operating in public schools across the country. Elementary 3, 500 schools. 500 the Where elementary
0: are they? schools. They're all over the country. Uh, good news clubs are Probably in every state in America, including um, you know many of the regions that are not known for their religious conservatism. Chapter one of my book, The Good News Club, takes place in a public elementary school in the Seattle area. And the thing that was so interesting to me in my community when The Good News Club club arrived, and also has I think is so interesting in many communities, is the way it divides a formerly harmonious parent body. I saw that happen in our school community. Um, Before the club's arrival, this was an incredibly tight, incredibly harmonious school community, not really divided in any way, even though there was religious diversity and political diversity, but nothing like this had ever uh, challenged our parent body in this way. Neighbors fought bitterly. Some were attacked for their faith and ethnicity, Um, A father from a country torn apart by religious wars wrote poignant letters to the principal expressing his shock and dismay that the same kind of thing could be happening here in America. And um, the same thing I I reported in the first chapter of my book in Seattle, when a good news club came to a public elementary school uh, in Loyal Heights, as one uh, father said, we used to all be Loyal Heights parents together. Now you walk into the playground, it's... You're a Christian, you're the wrong kind of Christian, you're a Buddhist, you're Jewish, you're an atheist. And, uh, you know, my feeling is um, uh, we're all free to practice our faiths, if any, in our houses of worship, in our homes, in any number of other places. Do we really need to be turning our public elementary schools into needless religious battlegrounds?
1: In your book, you talk about the training that goes into this, because this is very carefully crafted, it's, I mean, these, these good news clubs. And apparently you went undercover and sat in on some of the training sessions for the instructors for the good news Club, So what is it? They have some kind of a, you call it the plan. Um, and how true. did you get into those un- training sessions, I'd like to know. Oh that was really interesting. They yes. do have a, a,
0: a there's no it's a very heavily scripted program um, every uh, minute really of the um, program that takes place in um, good news clubs in public elementary schools across the country is heavily scripted um, every week they have special lesson plans and the um, you know that are sort of uh, scripted, start to finish, and it leaves very little room for um, it, it leaves very little room for um, any kind of ad-libbing. Uh, it leaves no room for the Good News Club leaders to fail because they're really given a script that they can follow. The plan is a 400-page, you know, 400-page uh, textbook that they have that covers every single aspect of a Good News Club. Um, from sample letters to the principal, letters to the school board, uh, advertising how to um, uh, form partnerships with um, uh, the right kind of churches in uh, in your area to get support for the Good News Club and to uh, recruit teachers from those church pews. And I do want to talk a little bit about the religion of the Good News Club. Um, it is... Um, very exclusive. It's not just any church that will do. It's uh, deeply fundamentalist. Um, and so what they, uh, the Child Evangelism Fellowship does is they will form a partnership with a, partnership with, um, a, a church in that area that um, conforms to their particular, you know, statement of faith and believes the things that they believe in is, um, you know, teaches the Bible their way. Uh, look, there are many ways to interpret the Bible, um, and uh, there are so many different ways to be a Christian or different religions in our country, but the Good News Club is very specific in its beliefs. Um, so, and one of the interesting things I discovered in my research is that, you know, every... Um, many people think, what's the harm? They're just going to teach Bible stories and teach kids to be kind to their neighbors. And that's really not what we're learning at all. In one of the lessons I oh, have here, Bible
1: stories and teaching kids to be kind to their neighbors are not the same thing. You no, they actually teach be... the story of the, uh, the war
0: against the Amalekites in which King Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites, including the children and the babies uh, and all the men and the women uh, and the farm animals. And um, Saul actually saved, he killed all the women and the children and the babies and everybody, except he saved the king. And the way that the Good News Club teaches this, they say, I'm just reading this from their lesson plan, if you're asked to do something, how much of it do you need to do before you can say, I did it? Yes, you need to do all of it. If you only partly obey, you're actually being disobedient. And then they go in to teach how Saul was disobedient because he did not call all of them. And they say, um, Samuel was given to explain what God wanted Saul to do. You're to go and completely destroy the Amalekites. Look, I'm reading this from the Child Evangelism Fellowship's own guidebook. This is what they teach in their classes. People, animals, every living thing. That was pretty clear, wasn't it? They write, the Amalekites had heard about Israel's true and living God many years before, but they refused to believe in him. And then they talk about how their sinful unbelief is the reason they needed to be punished. And in three separate places in this curriculum, there's a teacher note, and it says, teaching statement, have the children shout, God will help you obey. So basically what they are teaching is obedience through genocide, through the uh, genocide of the Amalekites. That is a very particular way of teaching this very challenging story in the Bible,
1: and um, so when people, what I don't understand, kind of, I mean, I I, I hear what you're saying in terms of how they have a particular form of Christianity that they are proposing, but just the overall. I mean, there are, as you mentioned earlier, there are Jews, there are Buddhists, there are Muslims, there are atheists and agnostics. There's a whole potpourri of people, and religious beliefs or non-people who yes, don't believe in, in God. Schools. What's this Wait. doing in the schools? What is this doing in elementary schools, I, I guess is what I'm saying. And well, I,
0: that question uh, sort of confounded me as well, and that's why I decided to write this book. And what I've discovered is that there are a number of initiatives, many different religious initiatives in public schools. Um, the Good News Club, unfortunately, is just one of a, num- a number of initiatives that I discovered, a uh, religiously driven initiative um, most so of you're them. saying there are other
1: religions that have the, those similar kinds of clubs,
0: but they Very are not Very few other religions do, or if, if other religions do, I write about it in my book. I found a, a, a tiny handful of Kabbalah Center programs in public schools, uh, a tiny, uh, I, I believe the Scientology, uh, Scientology religion used to have some called Narconon. I don't think they have them anymore. I think they've sort of been pushed out. But the groups are the groups, uh, the, the initiatives, the religious, dr- religiously driven initiatives in public schools overwhelmingly, I mean almost exclusively, not entirely, but almost exclusively come from the conservative end of the evangelical spectrum. Um, some of the other types of initiatives I found in public schools are programs, uh, masquerading as Bible study from a non-sectarian standpoint that in fact, uh, are promoted, uh, by fundamentalist sects and that uh, offer a very specific interpretation of the Bible. So what's um, the,
1: what's, what should we, like, if some listeners are saying, oh my, I've never heard of this before, what, what do we do, let's say parents who are listening or grandparents and the kids are in schools, and as you say, I keep repeating the numbers, 3,500 evangelical good news clubs operating in places where you wouldn't think they would be operating necessarily, Seattle, New York, you know, sort of bastions maybe of liberalism. So, what should we? What do we do about it? I guess, or what should be we? Because it is legal, as you're saying. I guess there are other groups. You mentioned the Cabalists, um, even though that may obviously not be. That actually
0: has now been shut down across the country. That program. There was the Cabal Center did have a program called SF. And why would they shut shut down? down. Pardon? Why would they shut down? Uh, Well, actually, right now they're being investigated. I think that program was being investigated for, I think, for financial improprieties by the IRS. I believe. Um,
1: but that program wasn't widespread at all. I think it was just in a tiny handful of schools. Um, Here's something really disturbing that you talk about in the book. I, it, you know, it, it kind of boggles my mind that uh, you spoke to those who are involved in writing the curriculum uh, and that some of the school board officials are rewriting textbooks to conform to their own religious agendas. Talk to us about that. Does that? have to do with the Good News Club or just in general or getting these religious textbooks, and where is that happening? That uh, was a really uh, uh,
0: interesting chapter of my book to research. I attended um, the textbook hearings at the State Board of Education uh, in Texas. They were um, There was a sort of far-right faction that had kind of taken over the um, State Board of Education sort of curriculum committee, and they were involved in... Uh, inserting numerous changes to the textbooks in Texas, um, uh, elevating sort of uh, their, uh, their, the elevating the people and the principles that they felt conformed to their worldview and kind of demoting others, for instance. Give us uh, an
1: example, like in the textbook, can, can you, like where they were changing it to kind of promote their own views or their own religious views as opposed to, what should okay, here's be. a good one. Um,
0: for instance, um, there was a, a textbook standard, existing textbook standard that read, the student is expected to explain the impact of enlightenment ideas from John Locke, Thomas Hobbes, Voltaire, Charles de Montesquieu, and Thomas Jefferson on political revolutions from uh, 1750 to the present. And uh, one of the members, um, a woman named Cynthia Dunbar, who um, has been, she's on film uh, in the nation's capital, praying for uh, Jesus to, quote, invade the public schools. <laughs> she proposed to change this to explain the impact of the writings of John Locke, uh, Thomas hum, uh, Voltaire, uh, Rousseau, Thomas Aquinas, and John Calvin, and Sir William Blackstone. This is absurd, because this was a, a standard in, intended to emphasize Enlightenment thinking and political revolutions, and she wanted to kind of um, instead of people whose enlightenment thinking, which sort of derives from um, uh, uh, sort of uh, ideas about reason, uh, which could be um, used, uh, which have been used to kind of Form our government, which has a secular government institutions and no established church. Instead, she's um, putting in the thinkings of these um, theologians, sort of a a mix of Protestant and Catholic theologians.
1: Well, she proposed this. Did this happen? Did they actually change things? This was, in fact, um, it was,
0: in fact, uh, agreed to. Yes, it was agreed to. And the reason textbooks is important, I, that's maybe perhaps a little complicated to explain in a soundbite, but the so the reason that um, text rewriting these, sort of re, repurposing the textbooks with more of um, a Christian nationalist agenda is to kind of convey to schoolchildren, not only in Texas, but across the country, uh, to kind of uh, create a sense that uh, our country was founded... As what they call a Christian nation, as defined by them, Um, people like William F. Buckley and Phyllis Schlafly were inserted into the um, inserted into the standards, and other people whose politics were um, not uh, as uh, conservative or who represented uh, more uh, um, liberal or inclusive forms of religion were demoted. Um, now, textbooks is currently the largest purchaser of tex- uh, Texas. is the largest purchaser of textbooks in the country. So often, what takes place in Texas uh, goes for the rest of the country because publishers will write for the Texas market. For them, it's a purely financial decision. Um, but this is just how it's been for quite a long time. California and Florida were also for many years setting the standards, but uh, at present, California and Florida don't have um, the money to purchase
1: new textbooks that Texas has. So, um, uh, Another thing that you say, and and, uh, I think we have to reiterate this, and maybe you said it at the beginning of the show, but... This is an all out effort that's not just i you know these aren't isolated the incidents, and there is a great deal maybe I said this because you mentioned this in the book a great a lot of funding that goes to this. There are certain groups in the United States that are associated with these far right religious groups, and they have budgets you say totaling over a hundred million dollars a year. Um, and they pour all of this into these clubs, like the Good News Clubs, and, and I guess in other organizations like them in our school system. Is that true? Well, um, it's true. I
0: think um, the groups that are really driving this agenda are the legal advocacy groups of the religious right. Um, the Alliance Defense Fund, now it's called the, um, the um, Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Council, um, the ACLJ, The Pacific Justice Institute, you may never have heard of these groups, but they have combined budgets of over $100 million per year, and they have public schools in their sites. They are the ones that are paving the way for these types of religious initiatives to enter the public schools, Um, these legal advocacy groups, for instance. Uh, the warrant, were the the driving force behind that 2001 Supreme Court decision. Good How News many Club people is- do you
1: think are aware of this? I mean, now your book came out, and and uh, obviously it's it's out there for people to to read. Plus your website, thegoodnewsclub.com, thegoodnewsclub.com. and uh, we are uh, talking to Catherine Stewart, author of the book. But um, do you think a lot of people or many people are aware of what's happening in terms of this? As you're describing it, the religious right taking over the public schools with these clubs and and, uh, rewriting textbooks, and, um, you know, is this something that, that, that the general population knows about? I think when
0: good news clubs show
1: up in public elementary schools and kids take home a flyer advertising
0: Bible study from a non denominational standpoint, they just see Bible stories, songs, and fun. They have no idea. Most parents are like I was, really busy with the day-to-day details of uh, of their lives. They're balancing kids and work and housework, and you know, trying to get the homework done, trying to get the lunches packed, and they really don't have um, the time to research every little thing that comes across their desk. So I think um, the Good News Club is uh, marketing itself in this very sort of light and deceptive way, and most parents uh, really aren't aware of the fundamentalism, the very specific strand of fundamentalism at the heart of the good news club. I attended the national convention of the good news club in, uh, Alabama. And, um, the keynote speakers at their conventions talk about breaking down the doors to the public schools. They spoke, uh, they said when they, one of the keynote speakers said, when they took Jesus um, out of uh, public schools, they, I'm sort of slaughtering this quote, he said something like, what was for the good turned into a consequence of evil. So they really do think that um, public schools should be uh, inculcating uh, young children in, uh, the, their interpretation of the Christian religion. Um, other keynote speakers railed against the homosexual agenda, you know, blaming all of social uh, society's ills on that. One of the keynote speakers wrote a book in which he decried interfaith marriage, which he referred to as interracial marriage. And he was selling this book. This book was selling briskly in the lobby of the, um, you know, place where he was uh, giving his Talk. To me, this is not a
1: mainstream position. I mean, they're and calling, calling it a all sounds so hateful uh, against so many different kinds of people. I mean, kind of the opposite of what, uh, it, I understood Christianity to be about, which was, you know, love and, and, Embracing your neighbor and all those kinds of things. The things that, the, the, the things that you're describing sound like just the opposite. Like many fundamentalists simply
0: don't accept that public schools are legitimate enterprises in the first place. They think that public education is secular education, and therefore, as that well, it is secular, that is to say, it neither favors nor disfavors any form of religion, but they see that as intrinsically hostile to their religion. And I think at bottom, they don't accept that we live in a diverse society with a secular form of government. Um, the leaders of the CF, uh, for example, say that public schools de-educate children by failing them to educate Jesus, and uh, they compare... Schools as uh, public schools as acts of war on the American public uh, population. One of them said he sees a mushroom cloud over the public schools. So um, it is a very uh, particular and extreme position. And unfortunately, I think that um, when a good news club arrives in a in a town like ours, it creates harm to the public school community because it alienates many parents and families from. The public school they they no longer feel that they really uh belong there they they may even see it as a hostile place i met many parents who stopped donating their money to the public school after a good news club inserted itself into school because they thought well that's not something i support at all they really go against my most cherished belief and the leaders of good news club you know unfortunately rather than seeing this as an unfortunate but unintended consequences uh, of, the, of their activity, I think for many of them, that hostility, that division that they're sowing in these communities is precisely the point. I think if they can't, um, if they can't, you know, take over the public schools, um, they would be happy to um, see the public schools fail altogether.
1: Well, hopefully, they don't have that kind of power. We, <laughs> the diversity that we have here in the United States, I think, is what is. Uh... In my opinion is what makes us strong and yes. uh, vital and all of those things and, uh, and fortunately there are groups that, and, Books like yours uh, that inform us about what's going on so that we can react to it and, and uh, maybe take a different stance, obviously. But we have the option and the choice to do that, which is a good thing. I have one last question because we only have a few minutes left to go, and you kind of just touched on this a little bit. What about the children? You're talking to the children. This is like elementary school. You, have you talked to sixth graders because that's 11 years old? What's their response to this? Well, um, good news. Clubs are generally not targeting sixth graders because they're in public
0: elementary schools, um, which is well. I guess in, in our experience, it's been a K through five. Um, there are other types of programs targeting middle schoolers, in particular.
1: Um, uh, well, let's say, I um, stick to elementary. Our school does go to six, so let's take oh, okay, a, a fifth okay. graders, not ten years old. Right. Um, well, uh, when you're
0: talking about kids, I think when you start, uh, when one form of religion is is being promoted in the public schools, the kids, look, the kids see that. They start to think of it as part of the school community. It just um, becomes normalized for them. Um, one of the other religious initiatives I found in our public schools is um, we, we moved to another state and found that there was a, a church that had been established in our public school rent-free, and they left a lot of their signage. Around, uh, the school where, you know, places like the auditorium where children were sure to see them. And my daughter, who was in fifth grade at that point, she, she looked at me one day and she, and cause the church was operating out of our public school four days a week, uh, rent free. She looks at me one day and she says, is the church part of our school? Now, obviously she's, I had to explain that no, the church is not part of our public school. They are occupying space in the public school, but that doesn't mean, you know, when, uh, you know, when we're not in class time, but, Kids think, look, no institution has as much authority for children as the public school. We all, as a society, tell our children to respect your teacher, respect the school. You know, you have to do your homework every night. It sort of defines your the um, the the pace of your day. And uh, for children, if they see one form of religion in the public school, in their minds, they associate
1: that form of the religion with the authority of the the state. I think one lesson to be learned from the interview with you and perhaps your book as well is, you know, parents have to really pay attention. You have to pay attention. As you said, the kids are in school all day. That's an institution that has the most profound effect on our kids. That's where they are all day long. This is the information that they get. So the other piece of that is the parents. And the parents, even though, as you say, we're very busy, we're distracted, we've got so much to do, but it's so important... To really pay attention to what what's what's at school and what your kids are being exposed to, I think, and parents That's maybe it. have to take a little bit of time out of the day, either to to kind of regroup and to make that a priority, and to understand who your kids are, what programs they're involved in, what they're doing, who they talk to. Um, I think that you know, I think after listening to you, um, I, if I were a parent of young children, this is something I would make it a priority. Maybe. Uh, you know, have a specific time at the end of the week. I mean, and uh, you sit down, and you talk to your kid, or you go over the stuff that's coming from the school, and 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 y- y- you got to know your kid, and you got to know what's happening with them. I think, and uh, and and know your school system, and I think you really make that point. It just not just during the, but you know, in reading your book. Um, That's true. I also
0: think we can't even begin to think about solutions to our challenges until people know about those challenges. So as you said, it is important to educate ourselves about what's happening in our public schools, but it's also important to educate others about this movement in our midst. I also think school boards and school districts can take proactive steps to establish policies and guidelines that ensure fair access to school resources without compromising the obligation of public schools to respect the religious diversity of our society and the secular nature our government institutions.
1: Exactly. And on that note, we have to say goodbye. Then I'll mention the uh, website again, thegoodnewsclub.com. That's uh, parent and author Catherine Stewart. Uh, that's her website, thegoodnewsclub.com. The Good News Club is the book, The Christian Right's Stealth Assault on America's Children. Read it. Uh, I think it's going to open up your eyes to a lot of new... A lot of information, a lot that I wasn't aware of. Anyway, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning, Catherine. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. You've been listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every week, Wednesdays live uh, from 10 to 11. We archive the show at the end of the day. Uh, You um, have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday.